Okay, welcome to the first episode of the podcast, Nothing New Under the Sun. I'm Dane Fuller, and I'm joined here by Gareth Tindall. Hi, Gareth. Hello, Dane. Now, what we want to do in these podcasts is kind of take some common problems and issues and even solutions um, from modern society and see how there is already a biblical element that can provide guidance, hence the name Nothing New Under the Sun. That is S-O-N in reference to Jesus. Yeah, uh, as in also that idea of there being nothing new under the S-U-N is a line from the book of Ecclesiastes where uh, the teacher, uh, most likely uh, King Solomon, uh, argues that there is nothing new that occurs in life that has not already occurred before. Uh, And particularly in that book, uh, the idea of living under the sun is to live in a world that is just observing the patterns of nature, not necessarily thinking about a supernatural God and his role in those things. So we're thinking about the patterns and habits of humanity and how actually the the difference, uh, the presence of Jesus Christ makes to that. And and Gareth, you're someone that's got a very, very good understanding of the Bible. Um, You're a, a pastor at church and uh, here at a school. So, you know, what do you bring to to our podcast from that perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I bring the, the belief that Jesus Christ uh, is as relevant today um, as he was 2,000 years ago, uh, and that uh, he is the high point of history um, when God became flesh uh, amongst humanity, uh, and that's such a radical thing um, that it's worth considering uh, eternally, um, and it's good news too. And so my uh, kind of operation as a chaplain is to make sure that that good news uh, gets shared um, at track. Okay, well, I'm coming from a bit of a, a different direction, I suppose, in that my exploration of the, the Bible is very new, um, and really probably only the last 18 months or so I've really started to investigate it. But um, the more I read and learn... Um, and investigate, the more I see there's, there's great wisdom in these books, um, in what they expect of people, um, but more importantly, you know, what it says about human nature, about our capacity to help others um, and harm others, but also to, to help um, and harm yourself, um, to deceive yourself and deceive others. So I'm really finding, yeah, that, that wisdom is really eye-opening for me, for someone that doesn't come from a, mm. a strong religious background. Um, and look, you and I are both teachers. We've got about you know 25 years experience yeah. in the classroom between us. Um, and our roles more recently have involved student welfare, where we're, we're kind of seeing some of those negative issues of human nature. We also get to see some great things, don't, don't worry. But um, we do often get to see, you know, from teenagers' perspectives, the disengagement, there might be bullying, there, there are mental health issues which we which we're exposed to, relationship breakdowns, social media misuse, um, all those things that the modern teenager is kind of dealing with. Um, so, and we, and we want to try and provide a little bit of relevance for the for the Bible, um, which is what I'm I'm finding a lot in my research. Now, a bit serendipitous, I was listening to a song this morning on the way in, in the car, um, just a random playlist, and it's a song by Live called 
the called Operation Spirit, which I haven't listened to for a long time, but it's something I listened to a lot as a teenager and a, a young man. And there's there's a lyric in that song which says, heard a lot of talk about this Jesus, a man of love and a man of strength, but what a man was 2,000 years ago means nothing at all to me today. Um, and now it's not the greatest rhyming scheme, Gareth. I know no. you're an English teacher as well, so um, <laughs> we'll forgive the the lyricist that but I think more importantly we want to try and show that you know this Jesus the Old Testament the New Testament they're relevant more than ever yeah yeah I mean I think regardless of whether we're even talking about Jesus or not that live song kind of captures a sort of uh, sort of um, ignorance that is going around our generation at the moment where what happened in the past is of no relevance to me really because it doesn't have an immediate bearing uh, on my existence, then it's irrelevant. And I think that's really um, a worrying trend to have, um, even more so uh, if we're thinking about Jesus Christ uh, and we're saying that, um, as I believe, yeah, he's the uh, the word become flesh, uh, a word of God become flesh, then if we're going to ignore that, then we do that to our peril. Um, you know, so... Thinking about you've read, been reading the Bible for the last 18 months, which is you know amazing, and it's a wonderful book to pick up and read. Uh, and it's important to know exactly what it is you're picking up and reading uh, when you do that. Uh, and you know, as Christians, uh, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, uh, and God is someone who is eternal. Uh, and so, by extension, that means He's relevant today. Um, uh, but also there's that wonderful dynamic of scripture that is, it's, it's a thoroughly human book. Um, it's written by human beings. It didn't fall out of the sky. Uh, and so it comes out of real life experiences. It comes out of people's varied emotions. Uh, and it's this wonderful and often mysterious interplay between God inspiring those writers and those writers bringing to bear their own personal experience. You know, when I read the Psalms, and I read of King David's laments uh, and his grief at his own guilt and failings. Uh, you know, these are thoroughly relevant emotions that, you know, we have, we do have, you know, we, in our welfare experiences, like you've said, Dane, we do have a lot of teenagers who are wallowing in that feeling of self-loathing uh, and self uh, kind of failure. Uh, and I think the scriptures speak uh, volumes to that mindset yeah there's a bit of nihilism in that as well isn't there if, if you're not going to take note of what's happened in the past and that it's meaningless well it kind of takes away the future a little bit too doesn't it exactly yeah i mean if 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 you are the center of all that's relative truth um and you can't work yourself out then that's a pretty worrying place to be i think so uh it's it's wonderful to be able to have um that grounding in scripture where we see a being who is so different to us uh, in being um, able to have steadfast qualities like faithfulness and patience, things that we have in dribs and drabs, um, but things that God has um, permanently. Uh, it's wonderful to know that there's that constant out there. Uh, but it's also wonderful to know too um, that those uh, attributes are not things that are foreign. Um, Jesus embodied those things and he was here on earth. You know, it's... It's undeniable that Jesus Christ was a historical figure that was here on earth. And so really we have to investigate just who he was and what he said and whether it was true. Yeah. And yeah, he was 
he was a man of love and strength, you know, as that lyric said, but mm. that means that we can learn from. Um, I think something that, you know, that I'm finding a lot is a lot of the things are, are grounded in, cho- it's a choice that, that you make. There's no yeah. predestined um, kind of outcome for you. It's based on free will. Um, and it's up to individuals then to to heed the warnings that maybe, you know, are in the Bible um, and use that wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, for, for me, an essential message that I'm getting getting out of it that, you know, Christianity in the 21st century can be about making yourself a better person and improving the lives of those around you. Now, you know, without any overall spiritual element in that, that... That's part of the message, isn't it? I think I think that, that it's definitely true that um, human beings have agency and free will. Scripture never denies that, and, script, and you know God holds us personally accountable for the actions that um, we live out, uh, be they good or bad. God uh, sees them as being our actions. Uh, they're a wonderful, well, and really difficult thing about Scripture is uh, at the same time. God is never said to have uh, sort of sacrificed or compromised on his control or sovereignty um, while we still have free will. And so it's this one of those wonderful uh, and kind of really can be confusing, but ultimately it's a freeing thing uh, to know that we are totally and utterly responsible for how we live, and yet there is a God who is totally and utterly in control of everything. Um and I, I, I think that a lot of people struggle with that. Um, I find it um, actually comforting because I wouldn't want to put my trust in a God who didn't know everything uh, and who didn't know how everything was going to work out, um, you know, who does know when uh, history will end, uh, who does know when uh, judgment will come. Um, I want that God. I don't want a God who kind of, you know, the that deist idea of he, you know, winds up the universe and then just... Let's it go and see what happens. Um, I like the idea of a God who uh, is totally in control and yet is, in his love, gives us the capacity to learn, to grow and to know his will um, through the work of his spirit changing our actions. Yeah. Mm. And that's, I suppose, a little bit of that, you know, humans are fallible and God's not. Yeah. So it's kind of that juxtaposition of those of those two natures, yeah. you know, of humans and God. Mm. All right. Um, we might take a quick break now. Mm. Um, we'll be back with the second half of the podcast in a couple of seconds. Okay, back here for the second half of our our first podcast. Um, we're going to move on to our first official topic. Um, and it's it's one you know again we Gareth and I have been having conversations via text message for you know probably eighteen months I suppose yeah. you know maybe longer and I'll find something and and text and he'll give me an answer and that leaves me kind of satisfied for a little while and then I <laughs> I, I go again but um, one of the things I've been working with with my students at school uh, as a year coordinator is is goal setting and trying to get them to to think about um, you know their future selves, um, but at the same time compare themselves with who they are at the moment rather than to everyone else. And I think that's a probably a common problem with goal setting as we look around us and say, yeah, look, that person's 
better than me mm. or I'm better than that other person. Um, and we're continually in that judgment in terms of other people rather than looking within. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, it's something that kids certainly do. Adults do it as well, I suppose, and, and they're probably very good at it. Mm. The old keeping up with the Joneses kind of mentality. Um, but I think we lose sight of our own potential. Um, and I guess you'll say probably, GT, God's potential for us when we're continually saying, you know, I'm smarter or dumber or, or richer or poorer or I'm more popular than that person or less attractive or, you know, mm. there's... That takes the eyes off the prize a little bit, I suppose, in terms of what you can do as an individual. Yeah, I think that our one of the growing things that we're becoming aware of um, as we become more and more connected with other people uh, through social media is the ability to, to do self-comparison um, is a great temptation. Um, and clearly, it's an ill of our society uh, because... Um, we can always find someone who we can say, well, I'm better than them that. Um, and, but then we can always find myriad others, other people who are better at many other things than we are. And there can be um, only really uh, something that just means that we put ourselves in relationships with people where we put other people down. Um, and when we feel um, hard done by or uh, gypped when it comes to our relationships with other people and we can become conceited. Uh, and I think that the... One thing to bear in mind with the idea of, yes, losing sight of a greater goal in goal setting when we do self-comparison with others is we forget that yeah, the Christianity is actually, does have a goal. It's telic, so it has a purpose, um, a place that it is heading to. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about goal setting um, and we have often have a, a picture in our mind of what we would like to be. You know, I'd like to lose this much weight or I'd like to have... Um, this much in my bank account, um, we have these visions of what things will look like. And Jesus himself used visions all the time to talk about the future. Uh, heaven's often described by him in parables about being like sitting at a banquet table or being welcomed into a kingdom. Um, you know, the end goal uh, of the New Testament in Revelation is of that heavenly city coming down out of the heavens um, to the earth. So it's, it's very vision-y and, and things we can, we can actually see and picture. And so I think that that's good. Uh, part of what God plans for us is to, you know, to have um, visions that are concrete uh, like that. The difference, I think, between the, those goals that uh, the Bible sets out for us and our own goals uh, is that we don't achieve those end goals. Um, you know, bringing uh, the kingdom of heaven down uh, is not something that we can achieve ourselves, and it's actually something that's already been achieved. Uh, when Jesus conquered death, uh, that one thing that holds us back from a perfect relationship with God, um, that realised that, that end goal. And so that means that, you know, we can kind of make goals here and now about things, but we always have to put them in perspective with, a goal that's been achieved for us on our behalf um, that we can look to as a vision, but it's kind of already been and done. It's a, it's a done deal, um, if you like. It's like being, you know, you're an AFL man danger, so it's like being in the fourth quarter and the team's up by 100 points. They're not coming back. It's The game is the game is won, but it's not yet over. Uh, it's got to be played out to its logical end. There might be little, you know, little side things on the 
little tackles on the sideline or little miss, miss kicks and that kind of thing, and these glimmers of hope for the evil side, um, which Collingwood, of course. But uh, you know, beyond that, uh, I think the reality is that the end result is set. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, yeah, you have to play that last quarter regardless of the um, what the scoreline says. And yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now. I guess, you know, speaking of that, the finality of God's eternal goal and, and, and his purpose for us, mm. um, does that diminish our need to be goal-oriented in in the here and now then, as we become better people or, you know, more godly people? How, how does that play out for us now? Yeah, 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 no, that's right. There, there, there is that kind of, you know, Paul will have that argument in Romans 6 saying, well, you know, if our sins have been forgiven, then, you know, should we just go on sinning so that God's grace will increase. And he will very plainly say, by no means, you know, absolutely not. Um, he says that, you know, if we have knowledge of the fact that Jesus uh, has died for our sins and that grace is being shown to us, then our response is, can't be one of sinfulness. That's a really twisted way to make God look more glorious. Uh, in fact, John Owen, a really smart dead guy, um, was really big on Christians practicing what he called the mortification of sin. Um, that was you know, putting to death sin. And that was active goal setting. Uh, he would encourage Christians to honestly examine their heart before God, I mean, the light of the grace that, that's been shown to them, and then to set the goal of putting specific sins to death. So it might be gossiping, um, it might be, you know, being a sluggard, being lazy. Um, and that came about through this wonderful partnership of um, knowing God's love all the more and when that knowledge of God's love becomes more concrete in your mind, you want to just put sin off all the more. Um, and that's God's thing that we do here and now. Um, you know, what, what I think we need to bear in mind though is that in, in 1 Corinthians 13, that very famous passage that people often have at their wedding about love, love is patient, love is kind, um, what Paul tells us there is that the things that we know, um, the things that we perceive, the things that we can achieve now, those things, they're limited. So we're limited by the fact that we're not yet at that final goal. Um, Paul will speak of the ignorance of not knowing the love of Christ, but then also he agrees that even once that we do know that love, we only ever realise it in part. And so he talks about this idea of you know, being um, refined by the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Jesus seeing him and knowing him. Uh, and Paul says that we only see him as in like a reflection in the dimly lit mirror, or like maybe the mirror's all dirty and you haven't cleaned it. And it won't be until that final goal that we can see Jesus clearly face to face. And that's when we're actually made like him, not just in our status where God says, you are my child now, but we actually are like Jesus in totality. And we, it means we can look him in the eye um, and be in his presence because we share his holiness. And so that's that end goal that we're working towards. But we never just sit back and say, well, it'll happen one day when Jesus comes back. Um, yeah. We're actively encouraged to harness the power of the Holy Spirit to change our ways now. Yeah. And you, I suppose you just mentioned there the, you know, the idea of the mortification of sin. And mm. I guess if, you, if, we, if we went back to a lot of goals, you know, whether it's losing weight or you know, being healthy and those things, well... Mm. If, if they're about lessening the amount of sin that we're committing, I guess, you know, it's, it's a good goal to have personally. But also, I guess it adds a level of accountability too because it's not just about 
you're being accountable to yourself or, you know, mm. someone in the, someone here, mm. it's heading towards that holy goal. That's right. That's right. And and other people can notice it in your life too. Um, they'll, they'll hold you accountable. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a pretty common thing that I've found in working with youth when they become Christians, um, their parents notice. Um, one of two things usually happens. One, um, they will start, you know, pulling their weight around the house a bit more without complaining. Yep. Um, and two, they start talking to their parents a lot more because they've heard this wonderful news about Jesus and they want to tell their parents. And sometimes their parents are really receptive to the news. Other times it can be really difficult for them. But it should being a Christian should produce noticeable change. Um, and if it doesn't, then it's good to have Christian friends around you who can say, you know, What's going on? Why haven't you, you know, you, it's good to have non-Christian friends around you too and say so you're supposed to be different. And if you're not different, there isn't a marked difference in your behaviour and in your language uh, and in your actions amongst people, uh, then it's no, one of the blessings that God gives us sometimes is really snarky non-Christian people who pull you up on the fact that you call yourself a Christian and you don't act like one. And that's a sign of his grace too, I think. Yeah, yeah. I guess too, you know, I think lots of parents would like their kids to uh, talk more and oh, to yeah. pull their yeah. weight oh, yeah. uncomplainingly around the <laughs> around the house. So yeah. <clears throat> that's yeah, certainly relevant. And you know, I've got teenage kids, and I think they're pretty good. But you know, <laughs> the, they are certainly kind of parenting things that you would notice and appreciate. Yes. Now I'm interested, GT, in your take on on Matthew seven five. I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, I came across this this story and again in my readings and you know, Jesus telling a person to remove the log from their eye before trying to remove the, the speck from their neighbor's eye. And, mm. um, and again, with this goal setting stuff that I'm doing with, with the kids in, in my year group, it, what immediately kind of jumped out at me was, was getting people to focus on, on their own failures or limitations or, or ways that they could reach their potential. Um, instead of just trying to look at other people. You know, we've all got flaws we can fix, mm. uh, which we have the potential to fix. We've got goals for improvement that we, we, we fail to achieve, or in the worst case scenario, we don't even identify that there are ways we can improve. Yeah. Um, because often we're just that little bit too preoccupied with what others do or have, or more than often the flaws they exhibit. So yeah. we, we go, well, I'm not as bad as them, or, you know, this person, I can criticise this person, and yes. that kind of removes me from being self-critical and looking at the ways I can change myself, which you know is the only thing you actually can change. You're probably not going to change yes. other people's yeah, behaviours. Right. So, is is that kind of what that passage is saying? You know that we're quick to judge others, but a little slow to turn that spotlight on ourselves, which is an excuse to not step outside our comfort zone and, and be better. Yeah, I think there's definitely. Uh, an injunction there against judging others, um, especially if, um, you know, the ridiculous scenario, you know, if you've got this huge plank of wood hanging out of your eye, um, how, how dare you pick up on anyone who's got anything in the, else in their eye, whatever, the, um, whether it's a speck or not. Um, the, the key idea in that passage, I think, is that Jesus is speaking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, it's in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and in that, in the context of that sermon, uh, Jesus will outline all these attributes and characteristics and ways of living that seem so wonderful and yet so unattainable. Um, 
And the truth of them is, is that they're only wonderful when they're attained for us by someone else. And so the only one who can stand in judgment over us, who has clear eyes, uh, is Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the only one who's appointed um, as judge. And that's in the, in the passage that Jesus says, you know, who, who is appointed as judge over you. Um, and he'll, um, you know, the, the ridiculous nature of having that log in your eye um, is a reminder that there is no basis on which we can pass judgment because in, in light of who we are in relationship to God, we're all under that judgment. Uh, and so the wonderfully freeing thing about uh, that passage is knowing, well, if I have um, been forgiven in Jesus Christ, then I have the same status as Jesus. And so you know, in, in my eyes are clear in that sense. And so that actually frees me up to not be judging people, but to be reminded of um, how terrible it is to be in that situation where you don't know Jesus. We walk around with this big log in your eye, throwing out barbs at everyone here or there and everywhere. Um, and instead, you want to bring the love of Jesus Christ to people rather than pulling up and saying, hey, you shouldn't go around judging people. Uh, you should be saying to people, hey, wouldn't you like to be free of judgment? Yeah. And uh, you can have that in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, a metaphorical, but also literally you're blind because there's something yes. in your eye and yes. you, you know, you're not seeing the world clearly um, and, and therefore you can't make those judgments on others. That's right. Um, it, it is all yeah. about having the veil across your eyes being removed. Yeah. Otherwise we walk around blind. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, I think that's, we can probably leave it there. Gareth? That's a good note to finish on, I think. Yeah. Um, I've enjoyed that first little chat. Um, oh, me too. Look yeah. forward to, to many more, hopefully. Um, so, you know, we'll have a new episode up in a couple of weeks, hopefully. I hope everyone enjoyed it, and we'll, uh, we'll see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye.